So this week we are in Psalm 13, we're in the Advent season, and um, we are talking about love this week. Um, and, and I wanted to start with this. I read uh, a tweet from Tim Keller that is fitting for this week. Um, and I want you to think about this. It goes perfectly with what we are talking about today. Uh, but Keller tweeted this, I am going to judge my circumstances by Jesus' love, not Jesus' love by my circumstances. Now let that sit just for a second. That is huge and really would change a lot in our lives. I am going to judge my circumstances by Jesus' love, not Jesus' love by my circumstances. So often we do the opposite of that. We look at our circumstances, and because our circumstances aren't great, we conclude that God must not love us. Or we look at our life and we compare it to the lives of others around us, and they seem to have everything so much better than we have it. And so our conclusion is that maybe God loves us, but He doesn't love us nearly as much as He loves other people. And then sometimes we look at our circumstances and, and feel like we are getting maybe what we deserve, like, like God shouldn't love us. We are such terrible sinners and bad people. It would only be right. How could God possibly love and care for, for us? I think this morning we're looking at Psalm 13, and I think that's where the psalmist finds himself in this psalm. He is overwhelmed by his circumstances and feels completely rejected and unloved. It's human for us to respond this way, I think, in our brokenness. It's human. Somehow in this psalm, it's only six verses, in, in six verses of this psalm, somehow we, we see the psalmist swing from cries of desperation to songs of joy, uh, from despair to delight in, in God. Um, w- wouldn't it be nice for for us, if we knew what it was that led him to this big swing? Wouldn't it be nice if we could flip a switch when we feel ourselves moving toward this place of despair um, and flip the switch to a place of delight where we are delighting in the Lord even if our circumstances are bad? Or or, or what if we could help maybe a, a friend or someone that we care about who we see headed toward despair and thinking poorly of God to move to a place of joy. The key for the psalmist um, and, and the key for us is to be able to look beyond our circumstances. No matter what our circumstances are, to be able to look beyond the circumstances and believe the truth. And the truth is you are loved. You, right? Like you are loved. It's, it's not just them that God loves other people. It's you. God loves you and I can prove it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you would, I want us to pray before we jump into this psalm. And if you would, I would love if you would pray with me as well. Like God can hear all of our prayers at the same time. So let's pray for one another. Maybe you're one of the, one of the people who have no problem understanding God's love. And no matter what your circumstances, you feel secure in God's love. That's beautiful. And I mean that. But there are a lot of people around you who don't feel that same way. And so give thanks as we pray for the love that God has for you and pray for the rest of us that we would know deeply that God loves each of us. Would you pray that with me? Good. Let's pray together. 
Father, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for uh, your amazing grace, the grace that you pour out on us always. Uh, thank you for the grace that we have enjoyed this morning, the grace of, of friends and family who, who are here today to worship with us, and the grace of, of these kids and the people who have worked with them, and the songs that, that we have already heard and will hear um, from our kids today. What a beautiful grace that is. Thank you for friends and for family. Thank you for Jesus. Um, I pray today uh, for those of us who are here today and struggle with God's love, especially when our circumstances are bad and we find ourselves despairing. Um, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be good today to, uh, to let our eyes see uh, your beautiful love for us, that our hearts would be soft to receive the truth that we are loved, that I am loved. Um, help us. Help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Overwhelmed with circumstance. That's where we start this morning, looking at Psalm 13. Overwhelmed with circumstance. Now, I know I've said this if you've been with us through this uh, Advent series because we're going through the Psalms. I know I've said this more than once. I love the Psalms. And the reason that I love the Psalms probably the most is because they are, they are filled with the very human emotions that we all deal with, right? The, the Psalms are filled with those emotions. The, the, the Psalmists aren't superhuman, and we see their humanity in the Psalms, the things that they write. Sometimes we approach the Bible and we think that the people in the Bible are much greater than we are, but when we come to the Psalms, we see really that the, 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 the people in the Bible, God's people, are, are human just like like we are. In the psalmist, we can, we can see ourselves angry, bitter, in trouble, hurt, uh, remorseful, repentant, longing, joyful. All of them we find in the psalms. This psalm, Psalm 13, is, is written by David. And we know from reading the Old Testament books of First and Second Samuel uh, particularly that David's life was filled with difficulty. Here was a man that the Bible characterizes as a man after God's own heart, and yet his life was filled with difficulty. Uh, before David became king, his king, King Saul, pursued him and wanted to kill him so that he couldn't become king. When David did become king, it wasn't that his life got automatically a whole lot better. Israel was plagued by attacks and strife from other nations constantly. And even more, David struggled uh, with his own sins. Somewhere in the midst of one of these struggles, David finds himself not only hurting, and we get to read about it, but seemingly feeling all alone. Psalm 13, verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David's heart here is filled with sorrow and his soul is heavy uh, with pain. He has, he has fears, he has questions, and he feels ultimately like God has, has left him. God is no longer protecting him as he once did. God is no longer caring for him, giving the care that he once did uh, to David. 
God no longer walks with him is the way that David feels. Will you forget me forever is the question. How long, God, will you hide your face from me? You exalt my enemies over me. How long? How long will I live this way? David imagined ultimately that, that, that God no longer loved him. Have you ever felt that way? Just that God had given up on you and God no longer cared, God no longer loved you? I, I have. I have felt that way. Maybe, maybe at times in my life, more than once, I've felt that way. Maybe because of sin in my, own, in my own life. Maybe because of mistakes that I had made. Sometimes just the, the circumstances of, of, of my life, circumstances that I really didn't have any control over or, or cause. I have fought and tried, right? Like we're, we find ourselves in these difficult places and, and, and we pray and we, we try and, and, and we fought, fought. We've done everything that we could do and nothing seems to work. Nothing seems to improve. I, I've been there and I've felt inadequate and, and weak and, and sometimes even worse. I, I've been there where it feels like God stands against you and everything that you are doing and you find yourself feeling all alone abandoned by God like the psalmist and that is a terrible place sometimes it seems unending hours of, of suffering and questioning and uncertainty turn to days and days turn to weeks and weeks even turn to months months of feeling all alone that pain and uncertainty leads to despair, depression, and for David, a plea for relief. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. We read these words, the, 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 the eyes of the psalmist are heavy and weary. He is, he is exhausted. His brokenness becomes depression. Depression to such an extent that the psalmist either considers death or fears that he might die because of his condition. God, answer me. That's his plea. God, answer me. Hear, hear my cries and answer me. Save me or I will die. Save me lest I die and my enemies think that they have won. The psalmist is crying out to God for help. It's a plea. In some of his darkest hours. In our fallen and broken world, right? We, we talk about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. The fall that happened in the beginning when sin entered into the world. In this broken world, it is human to hurt. Because in our broken world, there will be suffering. It's just a part of sin's curse. I say that because sometimes, I, I want us to be reminded, sometimes we feel like we aren't allowed to hurt. Sometimes we feel like 
We can't be sad or depressed. And, and, and so because we think that those emotions are wrong, those emotions are bad, we shouldn't experience it. If we were good people, if we had it together, we wouldn't feel that way. We pretend like everything is okay. But really it isn't. We, we shrink we shrink from sharing our hurts and our feelings, our pains, our anxiety with the people around us who love us. We even shrink from sharing our hurt and our fears with God. Like somehow he will think less of us because of our hurts. Somehow he will think less of us or be angry because of our doubts. I want you to hear me this morning in, in that. When it comes to our despair, despair, our depression, our, our plea for relief. I want, you to, I want you to hear this. It is okay to question and to hurt. It is, it is a normal part of our humanity. It's okay to cry out to God. We don't have to hide that from Him as, as if He doesn't know that we're hurting, as if He doesn't know our despair. It's okay to cry out to God. The, the psalmist here seems to be frustrated with God, hurt, and maybe even angry with God. The statements that he make, really the questions that he asks, they are, they are statements that are accusatory from him. You have abandoned me. When he asks the question, how long? How long will you leave me like this? The, the accusation is, God, you have, you have abandoned me. You have forsaken me. How long will you turn your back on me? God can handle your questions. Even when your questions at their root have an accusation toward God. I want us to know this too. God is not angered or frustrated by our hurt and confusion. When you have that hurt and confusion, God is not angered by it. God, God is not frustrated with you over it. God doesn't think less of you. God does not love you any less because of your hurt and your confusion. He is big enough to take all of your questions. He's big enough to take all of your fears and all of your doubts. And like any good father, and God is a good father. The Bible describes him that way over and over and over again. Like any good father, he welcomes you in your hurt. I can't imagine as a father with my children hurting, even if their hurt is toward me because they are confused by something that I've done or said, I can't imagine being angry with my children. A good father, and I'm certainly not the best, hurts when his children hurt. Our Father is a good Father, and He welcomes us in our hurt, desiring to help us, desiring to calm us, desiring to settle us, and I'm thankful that that is true. As, as I thought about that this week, about how good God is in those things, and thought about how often that we hide our doubts and our confusion and our, our fear from not just God, but from one another as well. I, I, I thought about how amazing it would be if it weren't that way. God, God hears us and he thinks nothing less of us. Even more, he desires, he desires to hear from us. He is inviting us constantly in, even in our doubts, even in our fears. How great would it be if we exhibited the same care for one another? 
where, where we were with one another, a safe place. Like God is a safe place for us. God is a safe place. What, what if in our family we were a safe place for one another, where we were, we, we were comfortable enough with one another to share our fears and our pains rather than smile and pretend like everything is okay? What if we were gracious enough and kind enough and understanding enough that when someone did share their pains and doubts and fears with us, we didn't cringe or, 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 or judge them or, or even ignore them or patronize them, even trying to fix things right away? What if instead, what if instead we weep with those who weep? What if we heard them and hurt with them? What if we entered into their, their fear and their pain and their doubts with them, not to leave them there or, or even to wallow with them there, but, but, but entering in that to take them to the Father? What if we cried out with them and for them like Jesus does us? The psalmist is overwhelmed in his circumstances in despair and depression, he pleads with God for relief. And then something happens. And in these short verses, it seems to happen really, really quickly. There is, there is a change. In the second half of verse 5 and then the first part of verse 6, he says, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. What a change. He goes from despair, from weariness to fearing death. He goes from that to rejoicing in his salvation. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. A monumental shift from the psalmist. He has been looking at his present circumstances and looking at the difficulty that he's in. It has led him to despair, to depression, hurting, ready to die. And now this change. He's looking forward. Looking forward, he says, I shall. I, I shall do this. I, I will, verse 6, I will do this. What he's looking forward to, I shall and I will, what he's looking forward to is not death and misery. It is salvation from death and misery. Something has happened, and now suddenly, instead of his despair, it, it, it's turned to singing, singing joyful praises to the Lord. I said this last week, and just as a way of reminder for us, we read these few verses, and everything seems to happen quickly. I'm even saying it, it seems like a, a really monumental, fast change for him. But the reality is, life doesn't work that way. And, and for the psalmist, we don't know how long it had been, how long he was in misery, how long he was in despair. Days, maybe weeks, months, sometimes years. Who knows? But however long it was, a great change has taken place. The psalmist begged for relief, and relief came. His mourning and weeping is turned to joy, his depression to joyful praise and delight in what the Lord will do. How did that happen? Right? How did that happen? I can tell you this, it didn't happen because God just waved a magic wand. It didn't happen with a sudden, all-at-once change. I believe that relief comes for the psalmist when he remembers God's love. And I think we see it in this passage. Relief comes for the psalmist in remembering God's love. Let me read this whole psalm. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Here it is. But I have trusted. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he has dealt bountifully with me. What led the psalmist out of his despair and to the thought that he would again rejoice and sing praises to God was remembering that God loved him. I have trusted. I have trusted in the past in your steadfast love. Lord, you have steadfast love for me. Prior to this, he had thought the opposite of that was true, that God did not love him. He looked at his circumstances. He looked at the difficulties in his life like we all do. And he determined in his mind, God has left me. God has left me. He has forsaken me. He doesn't hear my cries. He doesn't care about my suffering. He doesn't remember me. God does not love me. Think back to that Tim Keller quote. Keller said, I'm going to judge my circumstances by his love, not his love by my circumstances. Taking this approach means that we we see our difficulties. We know they are there. They are difficulties, right? They're hard and they're painful and our life is not what it should be. But, But even in these difficulties that we see that are very real, we say, though my circumstances are painful and though they threaten me, threatening to undo me, I will be okay because I know the Father loves me. No matter what my circumstances are, I will be okay. I know that my Father will provide for me. I know that He will provide what is best for me. I know that because He is a good Father. I know that because He is loving and kind. He will build me. He will better me. He will make me because I am His. In His love, no matter what it seems, I will be rescued. Isn't that beautiful? In his love, no matter what it seems in my life, I will be rescued. David remembered the love of the Father. That is the way to turn our despair into delight. So let me share with you this morning some some very practical things that we can do when life begins to overwhelm us, when our circumstances begin to move us toward despair. How do I get my song back, right? Because that's what the psalmist did. The psalmist was ready to die. He feared death, and now he is singing praises to the Lord. How do I get my my song back? Here's the first. Remember God's promises. Remember God's promises. How often we forget God's promises when we look at our circumstances. 
There are, there are books that are available and, and, and websites that are devoted to nothing but God's promises, right? They list all of God's promises in the, the scripture for each one of those promises. They're even broken down and organized into categories so that, so that we can look at them, right? If we have a question of provision and God's promises to provide for his people, there's a section on God's provision or, 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 or name it. And God has made a promise, right? Go to those. Use those tools to go to the Word of God and see His promises to you over and over and over again. Go to the Scripture remembering, remembering His great promises. His great promises to take care of you, to protect you, to save you. His great promises to redeem you. To one day restore you. Remember, remember his promises to you, his child. That, 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 that one day Jesus is returning. And, and on that day when he comes, he will fix all that is broken. All that is broken in the world and all that is broken in your life and in my life. I, I, our Redeemer is coming. The Restorer is coming. And that, that, that is the promise of God. And he will fix all that is broken. Remember his promise that one day when he comes, he will wipe away every tear and he will turn our ashes, your ashes and my ashes, into beauty. Remember his love. Now, I want you to hear me on this. Some of you are like me. And when it comes to God's love, I'll speak for myself. When it comes to God's love, I can see how God loves you. And I can see in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter, no matter who you are, no, no matter how bad your life has been, I, I can look at you and I am, I am fully certain that God loves you. And so I can say with that certainty in whatever your circumstance and situation, you are loved by God 100%. If I could give more percent, I would. 100%, I believe that God loves you. But I struggle to believe that God could possibly love me. How could God love someone like me? If that is you this morning, I am telling you he does. All of those promises, they aren't just for other people. All of those promises, they are for you and for me. That is the beauty of God's grace. Remember those promises. Remember his love for you. Remember as well God's goodness for you, right? How do I get my song back? Remember God's promises. Remember God's goodness to you. In the Old Testament, um, God was regularly commanding his people to build monuments, to build monuments. God would do something great in their life. They would build a monument where it happened, and they did that so every time they passed that place, they would see the monument and remember what God had done in their lives. They named places. They gave places names so that it would help them remember God's goodness in their lives. God commanded his people Israel in the Old Testament again and again and again. Remember what I've done. Tell it to your sons and to your daughters. Proclaim my goodness. Proclaim my deeds to my people. God is telling us to remember, to remember his goodness to us. 
the truth is that God has done so much for you. In our despair and when our circumstances are difficult, sometimes it's hard to remember that. God has been good to us and God has poured his grace out on us. God has poured his grace out on you in jobs, in family, in friends, in food. Maybe there are specific times when you have seen God's hand clearly in your life, sickness healed. An accident that, that, that wasn't, that maybe should have been. A card from a friend, a message. Those are all gifts of grace from God. Every good and perfect gift is from Him. He loves His children and He loves you. And He has demonstrated that love and care again and again and again in your life. Remember His goodness to you. Journal it. Give thanks when you remember those things. Tell someone else how good God has been in your life. One more, and the best of all, see, right? Our third thing, see is for Christmas. Remember Christmas. We may, with, with, with some degree of reasonableness, and I'm saying reasonableness, not rightness, we may with some degree of reasonableness look at our circumstances and say, God has forgotten me, God has left me, God does not care. Looking at our circumstances, it may seem reasonable to say, God does not love me, but hear me, it is impossible to look at Christmas and say, God does not care. It is impossible to look at Christmas and say, God has left me, God has forsaken me. It is impossible to look at Christmas and say, God does not love me. Impossible. Christmas is when he gave his only son. Christmas is when he gave his only son. He gave him to live the life that we cannot live. He gave him knowing that he would die. He gave him to die the death that we deserve. And when you look at that, you cannot reason that God does not love you. This was the gift. He was the gift to, to redeem you, to make you his own, to bring you near to him. God loves you. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In this, God showed his love to us. That's what it means to manifest. God showed his love to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. That God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Second Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us. I, I, I like better that the word compels us there. I think it's a better translation. For the love of Christ compels us, moves us, drives us. Christ's love. It, it, it is not his commands that drive us. It is love. It's the love of Christ that, that compels us and, and moves us and drives us. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Beloved. Do you know what that means, child of God? To be beloved? It means God loves you, that you are a loved child of God. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, this was the love of God for us. While we were still sinners, not after we got our life together, not after we cleaned ourselves up, not after we earned good standing with Him, not because we did so much to show how much we love Him, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God. And we mentioned this one last week. Why again do we have Christmas? John 3.16. For God so what? For God so loved the world that he gave this gift, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen to me. He has indeed dealt bountifully with us. He has indeed dealt bountifully with you with me in the precious gift of Christmas. No matter what your circumstances tell you, no matter how much doubt and disbelief fills you, you are loved and the proof is Jesus. You are loved and the proof is what we're getting ready to celebrate, Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, for your patience, for your love and kindness. There is indeed proof that we are loved. No matter what our circumstances, no matter how we feel, no matter how alone we feel, no matter how rejected we feel, Christmas is the proof that you are a good father. And we are beloved. I pray that you would remind us in our despair. That you would send friends to remind us in our doubt. That we are loved. Deeply, deeply loved. I pray that this season and, and especially the day of Christmas when we, when we celebrate and, and tend to look at family and gifts and a great time together. That, that, that those are good things. But remind us that Jesus is proof that we are loved. It's in his name we pray. Amen.